the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The ambition of the Antichrist is to be worshipped as God. And the reason is because the Antichrist is a real person, but he's going to be possessed by the spirit of Satan. Satan has always wanted to be worshipped as God. It's the very reason he rebelled against God, because he exalted himself and wanted to be like God and wanted to be worshipped as God. And so he was kicked out of heaven, along with a third of the angels who rebelled with Satan, otherwise today known as demons. And so there is this instinctive desire of the Antichrist to want to be worshipped because he's possessed by the spirit of Satan. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Daniel. The main ambition of the Antichrist is to be worshipped as God. In today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you about the rise of the Antichrist. The Antichrist will seek to be worshipped because he will be possessed by the spirit of Satan. Pastor Gary explains that Satan's main ambition is to be like God and be worshipped as God. That's what got him thrown out of heaven. Always remember to worship the Lord, your God, alone. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob alone is worthy of your praise. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Daniel, chapter 8, as he continues his message, The Coming Antichrist. The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings, who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. This is the Antichrist. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change rhyme times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time, meaning three and a half years. But the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom, this is the Lord's kingdom, is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So this is somewhat heavy stuff. Uh, I will also say at the onset of this Bible study that 
I don't want to uh, be dogmatic about these things. I'm going to do the best I can to give some interpretation. This is kind of a collective interpretation of various Bible scholars. This is not to say that this is the only way that the symbolism can be interpreted, but this is my slant on it, and so this is, this is how I'm going to present it based on the context and, and the best we can in using Scripture to balance Scripture with Scripture. What we do know this much is that chapter 7 begins with this description that Daniel has of four beasts. And he talks about these beasts, which he mentions as like a lion, like a bear, like a leopard, and then like a beast, this unknown, undescribed animal. And, and what we find out from verse 17 is that these are not actual animals. These animals are just representative of something. And what we find is that they represent kingdoms led by four kings. This is what verse 17 says. It says, those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. And, and so what Daniel sees is that there's going to be a certain climate, a certain condition of the earth at the time that the Antichrist rises to power and prominence. And so Daniel is describing through this vision uh, the kind of characteristics of the world and world powers at this time when the Antichrist will arise. And so he's describing it with this vision of having these four beasts. Now, it appears in the language that he's not talking about successive world powers like was the case back in chapter 2. Remember Nebuchadnezzar had this vision of this statue with metals that were more precious at the top and got less precious and less valuable at the feet of this statue. And those were empires that were progressive. It started with the Babylonian Empire and then the Medo-Persian Empire and then the Greeks and then the Romans. Okay, that was a progressive thing and it was, it was successive empires and kingdoms. It doesn't appear to be that way in this case. It appears that he sees all these animals all at once. All these animals represent four kings slash kingdoms that are concurrent, that are contemporary at the time that Antichrist comes to power. And so what are these, these contemporary world powers that seem to be in play at the time that the Antichrist is revealed or comes into prominence. So the first one that he speaks about here is like a lion. And again, this is somewhat speculative, but trying to put together, tie together symbolism and Bible prophecy, best guess is that when he speaks about the lion, well, the lion probably portrays a British-American alliance, which we currently have. I mean, uh, the Brits are, are some of our best allies in the world and vice versa. The lion, obviously, is a national symbol of Great Britain, and it's interesting that the national symbol of Great Britain, the lion, is standing on its hind feet like a man, which is exactly what verse 4 says, that the hind legs, the lion is standing on its hind legs upright like a man, and that this lion has wings of an eagle but that the wings get plucked and get separated from the lion. So it could be this biblical symbolism 
of the United States, where we eventually separated from Great Britain, the American Revolution in 1776. It's as if the the wings of the eagle were plucked from the back of the lion. Obviously, our national symbol is an eagle. So it's likely that it speaks here that the United States will have a strong alliance, as we currently do, with Great Britain. That's going to be one facet of world power at the time the Antichrist arises. And then the next animal that he sees here, this next beast, is a bear. And of course, we have to blame Russia for everything these days. And so we're going to blame them for the end times too, because it appears here that the bear represents Russia. I mean, since the 16th century, a bear has been the national symbol of Russia, the Russian Empire, and then the Soviet Union, and the present-day Russian Federation. And then it gets a little trickier. The next animal that he sees that is a picture of a world power, a world kingdom, is a leopard with four heads. It is likely that this leopard with four heads represents some kind of alliance among four Islamic states, either Central Asia or the Middle East. Some Bible scholars say it could be an African conglomeration of four Islamic states. We don't really know, but um, best guess is it's probably in that, in that area of either, either Asia or Middle East, some alliance between four Islamic nations. And, and then we notice he, he also sees here this fourth beast that is not really an, an animal per se. It's kind of this amalgam of a, a creature, and it, it has ten horns. And this last creature that we just call the, a beast in this, in this story has these ten horns, which seem to point to a ten-nation European confederation. Now, this is exactly what the book of Revelation talks about as well, that there will come a time when the world will be divided into 10 geographical regions, dominated by 10 kings or 10 dictators of some kind. Now, I know it seems a little far-fetched for us right now, but I've never lived in a time, you've never lived in a time, when there's been more talk about the dissolution of national borders, as we're hearing today, that it's almost like borders are offensive to people. And so, therefore, there's this great debate in our own country about a wall or no wall, because, you know, after all, walls seem to send a message that our arms are not open, and so maybe we should just get rid of borders. This, this is the kind of talk that is happening, not just in our country, but really around the world. Case in point, Jean-Claude Juncker, who is the president of the European Commission, which is the executive branch of the European Union. Jean-Claude Juncker has suggested that countries in Europe get rid of national borders when he said on August the 22nd, 2015, and I quote, borders are the worst invention ever made by politicians, end quote. At a speech at the Alpac European Forum in Austria in 2016, Mr. Juncker used the word anti-nationhood and was in favor of moving the EU toward what he called, quote, globalization. So there is this movement afoot that is going to play right into this 10-nation confederation. The Bible says is going to happen in the world, where it's just going to be, let's get rid of national borders, and let's divide the globe into these 10 geographical regions. It's not just Jean-Claude Juncker who is suggesting these kind of things. Even in the United States, we're hearing some politicians and former politicians saying things along these lines. In fact, in 2013, ABC News reported that in a leaked email sent by Hillary Clinton to a Brazilian bank, 
She wrote, this is according to ABC News, she wrote, quote, my dream is a hemispheric common market with open trade and open borders, end quote. So this is the kind of mentality that is sweeping our world right now. It's going gonna, it's gonna to play right into the hands of this 10-nation confederation. But what Daniel sees here in verse 8 is that out of these 10 horns emerge a little horn. And Revelation tells us that the 10-nation confederation will turn and give their power to one among them. And so in verse 8 here of Daniel 7, the verse simply says this, I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, and there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. And so out of the ten kings will come one who will speak proud, boastful, blasphemous words, and this one who emerges to be a world dictator is none other than the Antichrist. There are three more times that Daniel emphasizes the boastful words of the Antichrist in chapter 7, verse 11, verse 20, verse 25. One of the characteristics of the Antichrist is he's very anti-God. Now, he's super religious. He's going to be a very charismatic, he's going to be very political, very spiritual, religious guy, but he has no allegiance to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In fact, he's anti-Christ. He's opposed to the things of Christ. He's opposed to the things of God, and this fits exactly with what Revelation 13 tells us. I'll put the verses on the screen. Revelation 13, verses 5 and 6. And he, meaning the Antichrist, was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. That's three and a half years. And then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. And so out of this ten-nation confederation will emerge one political, religious, charismatic, very charming figure that the Bible refers to as the Antichrist in 1 John, as the beast in Revelation 13, and other names like the, son, the man of sin and the lawless one in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Now, three things about the Antichrist in the remaining time we have. I'm just going to give off three things real quickly. Uh, we're going to talk about, real briefly, the mission of the Antichrist, the ambition of the Antichrist, and then finally the condemnation of the Antichrist. And first one first, the mission of the Antichrist is to rule the world and to establish peace under his unifying leadership. Now, it will be a false peace. It will be a temporary peace, but it will be a peace that everybody is longing for. You have to consider, you know, when you hear things about what is happening in the Middle East and things are going to ratchet up even more, it gets to a place where people become war-weary. And we understand this. People get battle fatigue. It, it, people get so tired of, of having the rockets lobbed in their direction and then lobbing rockets back and forth that eventually people want peace at almost any cost. And people will be willing after such battle fatigue to embrace just about anybody who can bring a peace plan. And so the Jewish people in particular, those who do not presently believe that Jesus is Messiah, are still looking for a Messiah. And one will come on the world scene who's going to be this very charming, political, charismatic, geo-global leader, and, and they're going to believe that he's Messiah. And they're going to love the fact that he provides a peace plan, because the Antichrist is going to do just that. 
You know, currently on the Temple Mount, there is no temple for the Jewish people. Since 70 AD, for almost 2,000 years, there's not been a Jewish temple. It was destroyed by the Romans. The only sacred places on the Temple Mount are two Muslim sanctuaries, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock. And so the Jews are longing for the temple to be rebuilt, those who don't know Jesus as their Savior. And so in comes Antichrist, and in Daniel chapter 9, you don't need to turn there, I'm just going to reference it. In Daniel chapter 9, it tells us that he will initiate a seven-year peace treaty, and he will bring together Muslims and Jews, and he will allow and convince everybody that it's good for the sake of ecumenical unity for the Jews to rebuild their temple right alongside the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. In fact, there's enough room presently on the Temple Mount for the Jewish temple to be built without disturbing the Dome of the Rock or the Al-Aqsa Mosque. You might ask, why is it that the Jews haven't already done that after all these years? Because after all, in 1967, after the Six-Day War, they gained Jerusalem as part of the territory of Israel. Well, here's, here's what happened in 1967. Moshe Dayan, who was then the minister of defense for Israel, negotiated a peace deal with Jordan that said basically this, we, we by force have taken Jerusalem. It's ours. But in order to secure peace, we will allow you Jordanians, but in particular Muslims, to administrate the control over the Temple Mount, but, but the territory will be within the borders and boundaries of Israel. It was one of the worst deals ever made. In fact, for that reason, Moshe Dayan has no statue or portrait in Israel today. Because when the Jews captured, uh, when the Israelis captured uh, Jerusalem, they gave up the administrative right to it. And so the Muslims dictate what, ha- what happens to this day on the Temple Mount area. But there's going to come this Antichrist who shows up and is like, hey, I got a peace deal and everybody's going to agree to it and the temple will be rebuilt. There is a group of people right now called the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. I've been there many times myself. I've taken a, a few groups there over the course of the years until, until I was uh, kicked out. But that's another story. But um, there's a group called the Temple Institute, a Jewish people, Zionist who already have refashioned all the articles of the temple. They're there. All of the priestly garments, they're ready to go. So that as soon as the temple is built, they're going to re-implement the sacrifices, they're going to put up the articles of the temple, and they're going to reinstate the priestly service. The reason why I had a little falling out is just because I, I asked them one day, you know, this is, this is wonderful, you have this ambition, but, uh, you know, the temple has not existed since 70 AD. How do you atone for your sins? Because Scripture says you can only atone for your sins by the blood of a sacrifice. Now, I wanted to get their eyes pointed towards Jesus, right, so that they would realize, yeah, that's true, we have no blood sacrifice, no animal sacrificial system. So the, the, the director of the institute said, well, our rabbis tell us, our rabbis tell us that all we have to do is pray and do good works and we're good to go to heaven. I said, well, with all due respect to your rabbis, that's not what your own scriptures say. At which point I was shown the door. But anyway, <laughs> so this is what happens. Antichrist makes a peace deal. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, and then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, literally for seven, but in the middle of the week, in the middle of seven years, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Listen to what NIV says, and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, Jesus picks up that and quotes Daniel in Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus says, when you see the abomination that causes desolation, that which was spoken of by the prophet Daniel, flee to the mountains. In other words, 
the abomination that causes desolation is when the Antichrist goes into the temple and he proclaims himself to be God and wants to be worshipped, which is point number two. The ambition of the Antichrist is to be worshipped as God. And the reason is because the Antichrist is a real person, but he's going to be possessed by the spirit of Satan. Satan has always wanted to be worshipped as God. It's the very reason he rebelled against God, because he exalted himself and wanted to be like God and wanted to be worshipped as God. And so he was kicked out of heaven, along with a third of the angels who rebelled with Satan, otherwise today known as demons. And so there is this instinctive desire of the Antichrist to want to be worshipped because he's possessed by the spirit of Satan. And Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, the man of sin, the son of perdition, meaning the Antichrist, opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so that's what happens. He, he appoints himself as God. Halfway into this seven-year peace deal, he shows his true colors. And then the Jewish people realize that they've been duped. They, in fact, is not... Messiah, but he's been a charlatan this whole time. The prophet Zechariah talks about how their eyes will be open, and then the Lord returns, and they will look on the one that they have pierced. And so all Israel will be saved because the Jewish people have this great epiphany when they see Christ bearing still the marks of his crucifixion when he returns. But all of this is going to play out in the end times, friends. Now, the good news, though, at the end is the last point is the condemnation of the Antichrist. It tells us in the scriptures that he will eventually be taken captive and cast into the lake of fire, and the kingdom of our Lord will reign forever and ever. Can I get an amen on that? If you'll look real quickly here in your Bibles at Daniel 7, verse 11. Daniel says, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the, which the horn was speaking, the Antichrist was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. You see, the, the power and rule of the Antichrist will culminate with the battle of Armageddon. Jesus returns, and 2 Thessalonians 2.8 says that Jesus returns and overthrows him by the splendor of his coming. So when Christ returns, he defeats the Antichrist, and the Antichrist ends up eventually being thrown into the lake of fire. I will read in closing from Revelation 19. Now I saw heaven opened, John writes, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. This is Jesus talking about when he comes again. And in righteousness he judges and makes war, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a new name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured, the Antichrist. And with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. So that's their ultimate condemnation and judgment. And if you're still here in Daniel 7, I'll read verses 13 and 14. I was watching in the night visions... And behold, one like the Son of Man. See, Daniel sees the return of Christ coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and they brought him near before him. 
Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, this is Jesus, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. You've been listening to Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Pastor Gary has been taking you through the book of Daniel, an Old Testament book of history and prophecy. If you have any questions about this series, the Bible itself, or the ministry of Cornerstone Connection, please feel free to reach out by calling 703-771-1500. And be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you. Again, our number is 703-771-1500. You can continue listening to Pastor Gary's messages right now as well by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc, or by downloading our mobile app. Pastor Gary also has some companion study resources for many of his teachings. These are located under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc and are free for you to use in your own study of the Word, including one that covers the book of Daniel. You're also invited to be part of our weekly worship gatherings here at Cornerstone Chapel. We're in the process of transitioning back into live services, so please visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for the latest information and service times, or join us online through our website, YouTube Live, and Facebook Live. Again, Our website for the latest information is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection.